Good morning. Genesis chapter 50 is our text today. Genesis chapter 50. It's so, uh, so good to be here uh, today. It's an honor to be here. Um, your pastor didn't finish the story about the Greek class. I'm always uh, intimidated preaching in front of him because he's smarter than me. Um, the memory of the Greek class that I have is uh, having to pronounce Greek words and getting to Jesus, and uh, I said, Jesus, <laughs> and um, Dr. Robinson said, uh, Mr. Eastler, this is not Spanish class, <laughs> and uh, your pastor, after he finished laughing three days later, he decided to introduce himself uh, and we've been friends since then. But um, he's uh, what I would describe as a two o'clock in, in the morning friend. You only have a few of those in your life. But there are people you can call at two o'clock in the morning and they will come to do whatever you need. And I feel like uh, he's that kind of friend and his family to me through the years. And I so greatly appreciate him, and I appreciate this church, appreciate Don, and the ministry he's had here for many years, and the ministry that he had at the, the Southern Baptist Convention, has at the Southern Baptist Convention, the leadership that he has given through the years that speaks well of your church. And I appreciate your, your pastor so much, and his leadership, and, and his vision as well. I want to speak to you today about the subject of moving forward. There are things that happen in life that can get us stuck. Bad things. Ron Dunn said in his book, When the Angels are si or When Heaven is Silent, he said this I always thought faith was a buffer. It wasn't until one of the sharp edges of life pierced me that I learned that you can trust the Lord and still be deeply hurt. That paragraph uh, in Ron Dunn's book I read about a month after the worst day of my life. On March 19, 2011 at 1.04 p.m., my life changed forever. My whole family and 15 people from my church and 29 people total had loaded onto a miniature train that I had ridden as a child. I remember as a child riding on that train and it being so slow you could step off of it if you wanted to go back to the playground. And that day it wasn't that slow. As we loaded onto the train, um, Tabitha and Hannah, who's here today, she was still in the womb. Tabitha was eight months pregnant, and Matthew and Seth were sitting close to Tabitha. And my son Benji was sitting a couple of seats in front of me with his friend Trey. And as we went around the track one time, it was a little bit faster than I could remember as a kid. The second time was a lot faster. And the third time, I remember going through the tunnel, and I, I remember seeing Benji... Our six-year-old, I remember seeing his hand come out as he was trying to touch the side of the, 
the tunnel, and I, I thought, that's going to hurt his hand if he hits that. When we got to the, the curve in the third lap that went over the creek, the train pancake collapsed into the, into the creek bank. The experts said that, that investigated the crash after it occurred that it was going 20 miles per hour and the maximum speed should have been eight. But 29 people total were injured. Um, I went over into to the, the rocks on the creek bank and had a busted head and dislocated ankle. Tabitha was knocked out and bruised. And Matthew and Seth both had broken arms. As I came, came to, I realized I was bleeding from my head and a man helped me up off the ground, told me to get over on the bank, and I asked him where my son Benji was, and he said, they're working on him over here. And when I got over there, I realized they were doing CPR on Benji. Uh, he had sustained massive trauma from, from the, the accident. Uh, that, that moment, um, I can't describe that feeling. Uh, to you how lost and how helpless you feel as a parent at that moment to see your child and you can't help. There's nothing you can do. And I remember, I, I don't know how long uh, after that, they loaded me in an ambulance and I was laying in a trauma unit in the Spartanburg Regional Medical Center and they had me strapped to the backboard still with a, a neck brace and everything on. And I remembered a series of messages that I had preached just a month before on the life of Joseph. And I don't know if you've ever come to the, a part in the Bible where you, you come to it again several years after you study it the first time and you realize, maybe I didn't get that. And I remember the last sermon that I preached from Genesis 50 at the end of February... This is just a couple of weeks later when all of this happened. But that last message from Genesis 50, I called it a moment of greatness. When you can put aside your pain, you can put aside the hurt of the past, and you can speak for the glory of God. And that's true, but as I was lying there and thinking about it weeks later, still thinking about this scripture, I thought how I missed, really missed Joseph, how much hurt that he really experienced and, how many, experienced and how many years it must have taken him to say this. Now this is right before his, he dies and right after his father died, his brothers went in and fell down before his face, it says in verse 18. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. They were afraid that Joseph now was finally going to get even. And you remember these words if you've read through Genesis or heard uh, this in a sermon before. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. 
Now therefore do not be afraid, for I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now later on in verse 24, it says, Joseph said to his brethren, I'm dying, but God will visit you, surely visit you, and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in in a coffin in Egypt. So I thought about this passage and replayed the moments of the, the train accident in my mind over and over dealt with the images of everything that happened and the the senses and the the feelings and the the traumatic images I thought how am I going to move forward from this how did Joseph get to the point where he could move forward and maybe that's that's you maybe maybe you've experienced tragedy maybe you've experienced great grief and loss in your life. Maybe something's happened to you traumatically in your life. You were abused or you were hurt deeply and you wonder, how am I going to move forward from here? Don't miss what Joseph says here. One of the the greatest lessons that I learned from Joseph after the train accident was this. We can move forward when we come to terms with what happened. Joseph didn't skirt around the issue, did he? He said, you meant evil against me. The first time that that struck me, that Joseph came to terms with what had happened, he was honest with himself, uh, with himself and he was honest with his brothers. The first time that, that struck me was when I read him say again, you shall carry my bones up out of here. You know what jo- Joseph was saying? I'm 110 years old. I'm not going home again. I I can't go back. You know, when when you put me in that pit as a teenager and you ate supper at the top of the pit and talked about killing me and then decided to sell me into slavery... And then after I was falsely accused and placed in prison after serving in Potiphar's house as a slave and spent years in prison, after all of those things, I understand there's no going back. I can't go back anymore. And there are things that happen to us in this life that we must come to terms with and say, life will never be the same again. But see, that can get us stuck if we don't come to terms with it. If we don't don't realize that, that God can help us move forward in spite of that, then we're constantly looking back and trying to recreate something that will never happen again you know there are things that that I think about that last day that with Benji 
that last week, those last moments together. You know, I think about how his brothers were, were making fun of him because he had uh, all the paint all over his hand. And he was mad. He was mad at Seth because Seth was making fun of him because he had paint all over his hand at this pottery place that we'd gone to. And they were painting things and, and uh, they were going to the bathroom to wash their hands off. And I remember how mad Benji was. And we get back into the church bus and Seth is standing in the aisle of the church bus and Benji just goes, mm! hits him right in the stomach and says, I told you. You know, those days of those brother fights, you know, you can't go back. It's, it's, life has changed now. You can't go back to those days and see those again. Or those, those conversations, those moments with him. As the choir sang, I'll fly away, one of the, the memories that we have uh, before the train accident was Benji standing on the back pew of the church waving his arms while you're we singing I'll Fly Away. What a special song that is for this morning. You know, the, it's, it's one thing to say I can't go back. It's another thing to say I can't go forward. Joseph was the kind of person who freely came to terms with the fact that I can't go back to my home. There's no going back to the way it was before you threw me into a pit and talked about killing me. There's no going back. You meant evil against me, but, but, God's not dead. God can work in your life and in my life, even though I'm deeply hurt. I'm thankful for that. It's, it's seeing the reality on the ground and not trying to live with rose-colored glasses. It's what Paul was talking about when he said, I begged the Lord in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12. When he said, I begged the Lord three times to take the thorn in the flesh from me. And the Lord said, in, in, in your weakness, I'm strong. And he said, I'll just boast in my weakness. I'd rather just boast in my weakness and trust the Lord because I understand what the Lord has brought me to here. Can you come to terms with what has happened and move forward? One of my favorite generals to read about in the Civil War is General Grant. He was a person that, that knew about failure. He tried to, to do all kinds of things in life outside of the military, and he about starved himself and his family to death. He, was, he tried to sell potatoes one time and couldn't do that. So he, he tried to be in business with his dad as a tanner and couldn't do that. Just about went bankrupt, so he joined the military again. But he knew what it mean, meant to fail. And in 1864, when they put him over all of the Union Army. He was in front of Lee as they crossed the Potomac. And four times the Union Army had crossed the Potomac River and been whipped by General Lee and came back and the general was fired and that was the end of that. Well, Grant met Lee in an area called the Wilderness. 
and they just fought it out. 20,000 casualties in just a couple of days. Wildfires came up and burned the people who were injured laying in the woods and just a horrific battle. And as, as Grant was given the report of the casualties, his aide said that he went into his tent and wept. He said you could hear him outside the tent weeping like a baby. And they were like, well, he's done just like the rest of them. You know, we'll be leaving tomorrow to go back to Washington. And the reports say that the next morning, when the sun came up, Grant walked out and gave orders to advance. I love that. See, it's one thing to, to sit in the tent and cry. It's another thing to say today's a new day. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep moving forward. And for the believer, we understand in, in, in this situation, for Joseph and in our situations in life, that there's no doing that without the power of the Lord. To be able to say, but God. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. But God meant it for good. We understand that everything in life is not good. That Romans 8.28 that God works for good to those who love Him. God, uh, that doesn't mean everything is good. We live in a fallen world where bad things can happen, but God meant it for good. So we move forward when we come to terms with what has happened. We, we see reality. Secondly, we, we can move forward when we get the focus off of ourselves, when we seek to serve others. How did Joseph move forward? Well, he saw the sovereignty and the power of God, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Then he says, now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. How did Joseph move forward and not get stuck in his pain? He learned to serve others. He learned to get the focus off of himself. That's what grief does to us. That's what trauma can do to us. That's what hurt can do. It can cause us to collapse inward upon ourselves. To think of ourselves only. To think about how much we hurt. But we can experience that but God moment when we understand that God has brought us here for a reason, that God can work for good in this tragedy, in this hurt, in this pain. And God can use this to help other people. We can serve others. That's a powerful thing to understand. One of the things that I've learned from, from people in my church through the years that, that go through losing their spouse is the people who do best in their grief. They, they shed tears, they hurt, they have many bad days, but they serve others. They, they learn to put effort into helping others in their grief or to helping others who are in need. 
I was talking to a lady on the phone traveling up here, and she's had a lot of, of problems in her life. And she said, Pastor, I just want you to know that, that I bought $1,000 worth of grocery cards, and I've just been giving, giving them to people that need help this Thanksgiving. And she said, it just blessed my heart to be able to just walk up to a front door and just say, here, here's some grocery money. That'll help you have a great Thanksgiving, won't it? To learn to serve others. We live in a self-absorbed society. Our social media is self-absorbed. It's how we can get the focus on ourselves when really Christianity is the total opposite. How do we get the focus on Christ? How do we serve God and serve others? What does, what does that do for us when we get the focus off of ourselves, when we seek service, when we tell people, don't be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. Well, it allows the doors of forgiveness to open. Chuck Swindoll said it best in his book about Joseph, sometimes, sometimes forgiveness begins with just the decision not to get even. You know, how many times did Joseph have to just make that decision? I'm just not going to get even. Before he could say, you know, the Lord has put me here to take care of your little ones. Not only does it allow us to see the doors of forgiveness open, and I have definitely have witnessed that in my life. Um. I had a situation, we, we ended up, uh, because of the type of accident that it was, it was on state property inside the city limits of Spartanburg and operated by the county of Spartanburg. So because of that, the state accident fund said, um, well, we can't cover you except uh, for uh, $600,000 in medical expenses for all 29 victims. And some of them had partial amputations, brain injuries. Um, we had well over $2 million in medical expenses all told. So uh, all the victims corporately had to sue in order to just get medical expenses paid. And as we went through these court proceedings... Uh, there were things that was given to us by our lawyers that showed the negligence of people. And for, for some reason, the Lord had given me the opportunity to speak with the, the person driving the, the train that day. And I never had a lot of anger toward, toward him. Um, he, we talked on the phone a couple of days after. But the guy that was his boss, that's, that's who really stuck in my crawl as a South Carolina saying, you know, uh, would be. That really, he just really got, got to me. All the things that were said about him and his negligence and not training the operator of the train. And um, it was one of these moments when I had agreed to come and, and do a devotion when the, the park was rebuilt a couple of years later. They asked me to come and do a devotion for those who were working there. And I did the devotion and finished up and 
the, the public relations person for the day said, there's a, a gentleman at the back that wants to talk to you. And he's been wanting to talk to you a couple of days since you've been here. Well, I walked to the back and there's this young man there. And he's kind of sheepishly looking at me. And it's the guy that was the supervisor of the train driver. And he was like, I've been wanting to talk to you, but they wouldn't let me talk to you. The lawyers wouldn't let me talk to you for a long time. And um, I just want to say I'm sorry. And I work every day to keep this from happening again. You know, it was like the Lord broke my heart and broke his heart at the same time. But that, that opportunity to pray for him and to... To feel the power of forgiveness came through being willing to serve. And, and we have to understand that. Sometimes the healing that we experience in our pain comes through serving others in their pain. Or the opportunities that we have in missions and, and service to others. But it also allows us to see God's purpose in pain. For Joseph... He understood that the phrase, but God meant it for good, he understood that in his life through me being able to help you and to help your family. God's placed us all here together to keep you alive. And I understand that all the imprisonment, all the pain, all the stuff that I've gone through, all of that was because God wanted to put us here together to save these little ones we can move forward when we come to terms with what happened and we we see reality and when we seek service we get the focus off of ourselves what do you need to do today to get the focus off of yourself to step out of the darkness of that grief and that pain and say you know, I'm just not going to sit here and allow this to destroy me. Third, both the, the first two things, the, the, the seeing reality and the seeking to serve, those things only really come to view if we have the last, the last key here. We can move forward when we take the long view. The, the sovereignty of God was clearly in view in Joseph's life. God will surely visit you. He didn't just say, hey, when, when you all leave, take my bones out of here. He began that phrase by saying, God will surely visit you. Why? He had the long view. He had an eternal perspective. Without an eternal perspective, you can't get out of the pit. You can't move forward. You're going to be stuck without an eternal perspective. You're going to be looking down, as, as Solomon describes it in Ecclesiastes, you're going to be living under the sun. That's the way the lost world is living. Y'all realize that, right? The lost world right now is living under the sun. They have no eternal perspective. 
They cannot see beyond even their lifetime. They can't see beyond tomorrow. They're just seeing what, about what they can do today to please themselves. But Joseph said, God will surely visit you. When I was lying in that trauma room, all the thoughts about what has happened to Benji and what I didn't know about the other kids or Tabitha or the baby, all that was just flooding my heart and my mind. And I remember crying, thinking about, you know, Benji's, Benji has died from what I could see. And this nurse comes in, and she leans over. I have no idea what she looks like to this day. And she whispers in my ear, are you crying because you hurt that bad or something else? And I told her, I said, I think my son has died. And she said, I'm the, I'm the daughter of, of missionaries. And I want to pray with you and share scripture with you today. And she said, Isaiah 61 was my devotion this morning. And she began to quote those verses. And she said, the Lord will show you beauty for your ashes. And she prayed with me. Now, looking back eight years at that, at that event, I can tell you the Lord sent her there. Because that was what I needed at that moment to have an eternal perspective, to take the long view. I deer hunted in New Mexico a few years back, and I was with a, a guy that was a game warden. He was my guide. And uh, I'm from South Carolina, and all of our shots are within 50 yards. We hunt a lot in the woods, you know. So this, you could just see for miles off the top of these mesas. And it looked, all, it looked empty. I mean, you would look around you and you're like, how does anything live here? And he's just watching through this spotter scope and he'd say, oh, there's a deer. Come over here and look at this. Look, look, look at this deer. And you'd look through the spotter scope and there, there it was. Hundreds and hundreds of yards away, there was a deer. You know, sometimes we need that spotter scope of God's sovereignty to help us to understand the purpose of God. You know, Romans 8.18 became a powerful and one of the most important scriptures for me in my life. Paul, Paul says in Romans 8, that the present suffering of this world is not worthy to be compared with the glory to come. Boy, that's a powerful thing, to have that eternal perspective, to have the long view and to be able to share that hope with others. God will surely visit you. And when he does, don't forget my bones. Take me with you. As we, uh, as we went through those weeks of grief and 
struggle. The long view is always hard. It's, it's easy to get stuck in the pain. I remember going to, to therapy. I was having to take physical therapy. And um, I was going one morning and an Adrian Rogers sermon came up on the radio. And he was preaching about Revelation chapter 4 and the rainbow around the throne. And the last school drawing that, that we have, we, we brought some books today for you that we were able to, as a labor of love, try to help other people in their grief and pain. The, the last school drawing that we have from Benji we found in his book bag, it was a, a half rainbow. And I, I remember how striking that sermon was for me because Dr. Rogers said, you know, when you look at a rainbow from, from space, it's, it's a perfect circle. And the Bible talks about the rainbow in heaven being around the throne. We see a, a half rainbow here, but the people in heaven, they see all of the purposes of God fulfilled. They don't have the questions of why any longer. The rainbow is complete. And I remember praying and crying, going down that road saying, Lord, just help me see the rainbow one more day. Just this morning, just let me see the rainbow. And sometimes that's the way grief is, isn't it? It's not something you get over. People shouldn't tell you that. It's not something that you get past. Sometimes it's just moment to moment, day to day. Just give me one more day to see the rainbow. But that day-to-day, moment-to-moment, eternal perspective can keep you in hope and help you share hope even when you hurt deeply. That's what I want you to have today. This is such a, a beautiful opportunity to be able to share that hope with you today that, that Christ can save you, that you can trust the Lord. Today He died on the cross for you and He rose again the third day. It's a wonderful opportunity to be able to be with you and share and worship with you today and offer you that hope and your pain. Today is Benji's birthday. He would have been 15 today. Such a wonderful time to be able to say, you know, the Lord is still working for good. The Lord can still help you in your pain, help me in my pain, help me in my struggle. Give us hope together in Christ. I want you to have that hope today. That's just our story, but I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you've gone through in your life, what you're having to come to terms with today, the disappointment and the pain and the thoughts of the future. I don't want you to have to drag all of that back up in your life this morning, but I would like to ask you this question. Have you ever come to terms with that? Have you ever seen the reality of the hurt in your life to the point where you can say, you know, what you meant for evil, it was bad what I experienced. And nobody can make it good. 
And, and the, the slogan that the lost world and sometimes even Christians use, everything happens for a reason. God has purposes and plans, but there are things in this life that are just bad. And God in His power has to work for good. We live in a fallen world. And what are you coming to terms with today? Can you... Move forward by committing your life today to serve others. To say, Lord, help me to be able to take this pain and this disappointment in my life and use it for good to serve others. Maybe in that, that, on that mission field, maybe in that church, maybe in that school. Lord, help me to help others because I've been helped. Some, some of us just need to say again, Lord, just give me that eternal perspective today. I'm stuck on the ground. I'm still crying in the tent. I see reality and it's crushing me. Lord, just let me see the rainbow. Just let me see the promises of God that you will work for good again. Whatever God is calling you to do today, you respond today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here. and Thank you for this great church. Thank you for its great staff. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share these moments with them today. And Lord, um, we ask that, that you would work in your power for good. Lord, I know as in every congregation of believers, there are people here who have been greatly hurt. Lord, there's some who live with great disappointments. But Lord, I ask that you would show them, show them that rainbow today. Show them that hope today. Show them that path to forward, moving forward for your glory. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah.
Thank you so much. Uh, this book, obviously, squinting to see the rainbow. Uh, Dwight was like me as a kid. You kind of squirt that water hose up in the air, and you have to squint a little bit, and you'll see that rainbow. You ever done that, you folks in, up here? Yeah, you've checked that out, right, squinting to see the rainbow. But I love the way that Dwight and Tabitha, it took them eight years to get to the point where they can write this. And God in his sovereignty, I told Dwight as soon as I read it, uh, I sat in my office in one sitting about a couple weeks ago and read this book. Cried a little bit. Thank God a little bit. The theology in this book woven together with tragedy is amazing. God has richly blessed them to think theologically as they write. And there's some helps in here for you. But um, Dwight has a section. Tabitha has a section. And then uh, Matthew their high school senior who couldn't come because he had a football game, and they won, right? That's a good thing. But he had to stay there in Carolina. But this is what Dwight says uh, in reference to 2 Samuel 12 when David loses a child. We cannot move forward without hope, and we cannot move forward without purpose. Why did David get up and wash himself and regain his strength? Well, he had an understanding that the Lord was not finished with him yet. I believe the Lord refilled our lives with purpose through Seth and Matthew and Hannah, Hannah was born on April 27, 2011, a little more than one month after the train accident. Looking back, it becomes quickly evident that Hannah was sent to us as a comfort and as a challenge for us to keep moving. Amen. And let me read you just briefly. Tabitha's section starts with just called God's love. And the very first verse, I love it, Psalm 119.68, you are good. And you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. And uh, she jacks it out of the park in uh, one section called One Word. And that's the one word that she learned through this tragedy. And it's the word submission. Submission to a holy God. And then uh, Matthew's, let me just read this and I'm done. I just want you to get a grip of what's going on in these book, this book, which is incredible. Now this, how old is Matthew, 18? 17 years old. Listen to this. True biblical faith certainly includes all of these things, which is belief in Jesus, the fact that he died and rose again. But the essence of saving faith in Christ is a reliant trust in him. It's not enough to merely intellectually know the truths of the gospel. Do those truths direct your heart to trust Christ, to rely on him and his sacrificial death and mighty resurrection? Check this out. 17 years old. When God regenerates a sinner through the power of the Holy Spirit, he changes that person's heart which was formerly unable to trust Christ. He gives a new heart with new desires for God and a newfound faith in Christ, a loving communion between the regenerated sinner and Almighty God. Ooh, that's good stuff. My point to you is uh, we gave Dwight an honorarium for coming here, but today you can give a love offering and get something in return. All right? And uh, these are 13 bucks. I'm just telling you, he's an old country boy. He ain't trying to make money. Some people do. But you need to get a copy of this. I only have 100 back there, but if you get them, we'll get more. But uh, you can write a check. Please direct him to Dwight so we don't have to do all that kind of stuff with here. But you need a copy of this. So it'll help you in tragedy, folks. It's a blessing to my heart. So I encourage you to do that today so it'll be an encouragement to your life. All right? Well, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, we're going to go home. Hope you come back tonight. Dwight, thank you, brother. Appreciate your... Uh, openness and preaching the word for us and Tabitha you and Hannah and Dwight if y'all go back to the back we'll let folks greet you on the way out
Blake, you mind close us in prayer and you will be dismissed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the opportunity we have today to come and worship you, God. Uh, we thank you for the message that was brought today. And all of us will experience tragedy in our life, but we know that you're on your throne. God, we just uh, um, pray for this family, that you'll continue to work through them. And uh, God, I just pray for our church family here that we'll be able to, to help and to support and to, to just be uh, what others need in, in, in times of, of trouble and in times of trial. Uh, God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.